You're listening to the Quince podcast. One day after she was arrested by the Narcotics Control Bureau or the NCB on drug charges linked to the Sushant Singh Rajput case, actor Riya Chakravarti was shifted from the NCB office to Mumbai's Baikulla Jail, where she'll be kept for the next 14 days. Far from the initial investigations on abetment to suicide or siphoning of funds from Sushant's accounts that had kickstarted the whole probe in the first place, the focus has lately shifted to a drug angle. After being hounded by no less than three investigative agencies, the newest allegations against Rhea are now not about possessing or consuming cannabis, but on aiding and financing cannabis procurements for her late boyfriend. Along with vicious attacks over alleged drug consumptions, as Rhea simultaneously also faces a misogynistic smear campaign online and on news channels, her colleagues from Bollywood, actors and filmmakers are pledging support for her by putting up a message on quote-unquote smashing the patriarchy on social media. But as the case steers away from facts to sexist vilification of a character and questions on cannabis consumption, let's talk about these two things in more detail. What does the law say about marijuana regulations in India and what are the arguments on legalizing it? Secondly, do Rhea and others like her who are targets of sexist hate campaigns on public platforms have any legal recourse? To deep dive into these legal questions, we spoke to Vakasha Sachdev, the Quint's legal editor, Nidhi Khanna, a Delhi-based lawyer, and Neha Singhal, a legal researcher at the Vidhi Center for Legal Policy. You're tuned in to The Big Story, the podcast where we dissect the headline-making news for you. And I'm your host, Shorbri. The fine line between facts and fiction is slowly getting blurred in the Sushant Singh Rajput case as it takes endless twists and turns dictated by a media trial. Barely a few days after the rising Bollywood star was found dead by suicide, Rhea Chakrabarti, who was at the time in a relationship with him, became the centre of a vicious smear campaign led by some celebrity trolls and not to mention several high-profile journalists. But coming to the recent developments straight away, after three days of questioning, the NCB has claimed that Rhea was, quote, an active member of the drug syndicate connected with drug supplies and knew of every delivery and payment, end quote. Let me clarify that this is, of course, separate from the CBI's probe that is looking into the angle of abetment to suicide or the ED's probe, which is looking into allegations of 15 crores of rupees being siphoned from Rajput's account. But what led the NCB to conclude that Rhea was a part of a drug syndicate? How has Rhea been roped into this drug case at all? Well, to begin with, the NCB's case hinges on 59 grams of curated marijuana found on alleged drug peddlers Abbas Lakhani and Karan Arora who were arrested earlier but granted bail. But as the NCB continued with their investigation, they claimed to have found links to a drug peddler who allegedly supplied marijuana to Shovik Chakravarti, who's Riya's brother. The NCB further claimed that Shovik was supplying drugs for Sushant via his manager and household help and arrested him under anti-drug charges earlier on 4th September. And then came allegations of Riya's involvement. After questioning her, the NCB claimed that Riya, who was at the time Sushant's girlfriend, had knowledge of these marijuana transactions and had financed some of these transactions. But as the NCB hastily concluded that she's a part of a quote-unquote drug syndicate, what is also important to note here is there's been no recovery of marijuana or any cogent proof for that matter that is linking back to Rhea, 
The case, in fact, is primarily depending on WhatsApp chats currently. So what charges under the NDPS Act are currently involved in a remand? And what are the implications of it? As I've said earlier, the remand letter doesn't mention anything about using drugs. Rather, it lays down allegations of financing and aiding in procuring drugs. And Vakasha Sachdev explains more on it. So if Ria's involvement is proved in all of this, sort of what are these offences exactly and what, what exactly is the NCB sort of going to be taking to court and what are the possible punishments which Ria could face as a result? Now, the NCB in their remand application has said that Ria has been arrested under some very specific sections of the NDPS Act, the Narcotic Drugs and Psychotropic Substances Act of 1985, which is India's main anti-drug legislation. Now, according to the NCB, the sections are sections 8, Section 20, Section 22, 27 capital A, and then Sections 28 and 29. Now, what do these uh, sort of uh, offences cover? So, Sections 28 and 29, let's get those out of the way, those are abetment and conspiracy. So, that's obviously to deal with the fact that Ria may not be found to have directly paid for certain drugs, or directly made orders for certain drugs, which were being, you know, asked for for Sushant Rajput. But in case they have to sort of, tie her in somehow, uh, that's the uh, need to bring those two provisions in. The actual offences are sections 8, 20, 22 and 27 capital A. And even section 8 here, for instance, is a general prohibition on uh, sort of anything to do with these drugs. So whether it's the sale, purchase, manufacture, transport or use of these drugs. Uh, it's a general provision, doesn't have any specific uh, punishment prescribed for it, which means that the maximum imprisonment you're looking at here would be something like uh, six months in jail and a fine of rupees 10,000. The other offences are more specific. Section 20 deals with with any of those issues, sort of sale, purchase, manufacture, transport, use uh, when it comes to cannabis. Now, the uh, this is again sort of an important thing to keep track of. Section 22 deals with, uh, again, the same sort of offences, but when it comes to psychotropic substances. Now, what we have to remember at this point of time with the NDPS Act is that there are different levels of punishment for different quantities of drugs involved. Now, if you have a very small quantity of a drug involved in an offence, then you're not really looking at a high uh, sentence or a, or, a, or a very severe punishment. You're looking at something lower. So the NDPS Act classifies the quantities into three. There's small quantities, intermediate quantities, and commercial quantities. Now, commercial quantities are the big problem. If that's involved, then you're looking at very, very serious punishments. If it's small quantities, then that's different. Now, when it comes to if there's different uh, thresholds for different drugs, when it comes to ganja, for instance, it's uh, around a kg. If it's charas, then it's 100 grams. And, you know, there's a whole confusion about that and we don't really know exactly which drugs are at play here but the issue is obviously that if Rhea Chakraborty is being charged with these offenses relating to small quantities then for instance for section 20 she's looking at a maximum punishment of six months if it's section 22 a maximum punishment of one year and uh, fines of up to rupees 10,000 but if uh, there are commercial quantities involved then the punishment shoots up then you're looking at a minimum of 10 years in jail if not 20 you're looking at fines which can go up to 2 lakhs and in exceptional circumstances depending on the accused can even go higher than that if reasons are provided. Now Ria had initially denied all allegations of procuring curated marijuana but has reportedly confessed to having smoked a joint at certain occasions later but since some news channels have been conflating the drug allegations on their coverage, consumption of cannabis or ganja or weed or CBD oil has suddenly become a primary focus in this case. And as many point out, that's exactly where the hypocrisy and the bullying by the media and investigative agencies become evident. It's a well-known fact that despite it being regulated and criminalised in India since 1961, due to America's anti-drug approach, 
Cannabis has historically been consumed by a significant chunk of the population through centuries and continues to be consumed for spiritual, medicinal and recreational purposes. And as we all also know, some byproducts of marijuana such as bhang is also legally available in government shops in the country. Elaborating on the data available on India's cannabis consumption, Neha Singhal says that if the system had to go after cannabis consumers in the country, it would collapse. She says that the cannabis angle in this case is basically the lowest hanging fruit. Um, I used to joke when we started researching that the number of criminal offences that exist in this country, especially around cannabis use, would make most of us criminal offenders because of the sheer number of people who consume cannabis in the country. There is a Ministry of Social Justice report from 2019 which documents substance abuse in the country and it says that there are more than 3 crore cannabis users currently in India. So if one was to actually go after each one of them, our entire system would collapse. The system knows that it is not possible to arrest and prosecute and convict every single cannabis user in the country. This particular case is basically they had to find one instance where they could make this woman uh, you know, show that this woman is a criminal and the easiest thing to do is to go after cannabis consumption. This is exactly what I'm saying even in this report, that when the police is pressed to do something to increase its arrest rates, the, the thing that they will do is go after the lowest hanging fruit. And in terms of the lowest hanging fruit in this country and the way especially the youth today is consuming cannabis, it is very easy to go after somebody, vilify them and make their lives a complete living hell. So um, the data from Bombay itself tells you that that more than 87% of the people who are coming before the criminal justice system under the NDPS Act in Bombay are being prosecuted and convicted for cannabis consumption. So this is again the same case of police being pressed for arrests and going after the easiest possible people. This is what they do. So hypocrisy or not, I don't know, but easy targets, definitely. Strangely, even though cannabis consumption is being stigmatized in the media coverage, there in fact are several valid arguments on decriminalizing its uses. These are new arguments, of course. There have been past attempts to decriminalize marijuana in the country and Ms. Singhal talks about the economic opportunities that India is missing out on by criminalizing cannabis. So to begin with, the 1985 Act, the NDPS Act in 1985, had succumbed to American-led pressure on criminalizing cannabis. If you speak to legislators at the time and people involved in drafting the legislation at the time, nobody was really comfortable criminalizing cannabis because cannabis is such an integral part of Indian culture and religion that nobody was actually comfortable doing this. But because we had signed international treaties and we were now required to criminalize cannabis, it was made to be a part of the law. Now that the world and especially US is moving away from criminalization of cannabis or legalizing cannabis, I think it is time for us also to review where we started, why we criminalized it in the first place and where we are today. In addition to that, in economic terms, there are a couple of factors that make uh, make legalizing cannabis an interesting prospect. One is that we are, we are losing massively in the hemp market. The Indian cannabis crop is not suited for international hemp regulations. So most cultivators are not able to use their cannab indigenous cannabis production and 
make hemp out of it which means that something which is becoming a billion dollar industry worldwide is something that india is not being able to tap into second it's about pure revenue so if three crore people are using cannabis in a year in a country and another study that we have quoted says that delhi could be losing 725 crores and bombay could be losing 641 crores of revenue per year if cannabis was taxed i think it makes a fairly strong economic argument as well this would also mean that uh, users who are going to be using in any case are going to have better quality weed or um, charas available to them there'll, there'll be lesser adulteration which means the health repercussions on people are going to be lesser because cannabis as a research source is shows in itself is not a problem it's the adulteration added to these substances which make the product more potent and harmful but the criticism over the coverage or the mishandling of the case isn't about one problematic thing or two Text messages have been blown up on news screens without context, pushing a narrative that Ria had orchestrated plans to control Rajput. In fact, one chat between Ria and talent manager Jayasha also seemed to suggest a conspiracy that she was administering CBD oil without Rajput's consent by slipping it into his tea. But in that entire process of weaving conspiracies and claims, Ria has also come to be a target of a misogynistic smear campaign that vilifies women, a campaign that celebrity trolls and top journalists are implicit in propagating. So is there any legal recourse to address the sexist hate campaign that she's facing on public platforms? This is Nidhi Khanna explaining the available legal remedies and if they're sufficient to tackle hate speech against women. The hate campaign that is being carried out against her is a much larger and broader conversation. Why? Because, see, sexist speech can be of two kinds. One is where there is a direct allusion to a woman's sex or her sexuality and, you know, her physical attributes. That is actually covered by the law under Section 509 of the IPC and also Section 67A of the Information Technology Act. Both, incidentally, are provisions under which a complaint was filed by uh, somebody who faced uh, a hate campaign as a spillover of this Ria uh, episode um, when, you know, Bengali women were sort of caught in the fray and in the middle of all of this. Uh, So this complaint was filed before the cyber cell of Calcutta. But what happens is that it doesn't capture all kinds of sexist speech. Now, Section 509 of the IPC, for instance, uses a phrase such as outraging the modesty of a woman. Now, I don't even know what that means, right? It's so vague. And courts have defined it, but they've defined it uh, specifically to talk about the sex of a woman, you know? So, now you can't uh, define this term without sort of reinforcing outmoded notions of sexual morality so this is problematic and also inadequate even defamation law is there both civil and criminal defamation can be initiated in this case but again this is inadequate because it covers reputation and privacy concerns but not the larger issue of gender stereotyping etc now sexist speech which uh, tends to reinforce gender stereotypes that is not covered under any law there is no recourse for that Uh, so that is why i think there should be a law which captures hate speech against women as a class why because when you make comments against a woman based on her gender you're not just attacking her you're attacking the gender as a class Uh, now 
hate speech as we traditionally understand it covers religious ethnic minorities but uh, there is a 2017 law commission report which suggests that this hate speech law be extended to other classes like on the basis of their sex their sexual orientation gender and other such classes uh, that would be if well drafted and tightly drafted be a good legal recourse now context is very important now this law would need to capture context have illustrations which clearly define it so that it is not left to a judge to decide whether there is uh, you know uh, been a violation of the law or not or is this speech hate speech or not if you like listening to this episode please subscribe to the big story playlist for episodic updates we'll have on apple google podcast spotify geo7 and most of the other popular podcast streaming platforms For other podcasts please log on to the Quinn website and check out the podcast section for any feedback shoot an email to podcasts@thequinn.com Thanks for listening log on to the Quinn's website and check out our other podcasts